Hello, and welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home, in the car, and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner, and I'm flying solo today. This is the final UX Soup podcast of the year. So we thought we would take a retrospective look at some of our past episode clips that sum up the themes of 2020. This, of course, has been a unique and challenging year for all, with COVID-19 impacting pretty much every aspect of life. And it's certainly been a recurring theme in UX Soup. Episodes two and three were devoted to the pandemic. And in those episodes, we covered many of the impacts that we had seen through our research One of the areas that we cover for our clients is the user experience in the mobility space. And in one of our first episodes, episode two, Derek talked about the impact that COVID-19 was having and will continue to have for ride sharing and car sharing services. So we've already conducted uh, some fascinating research on uh, COVID-19's impact on the automotive and mobility industry. So I'll just hit the high points here. So Uh, One of the things that's been fascinating in all verticals, but especially in in transport and human movement, is what an ideal concept of cleanliness and safety look like and how those things can be non-verbally communicated, uh, whether that's in an owned car versus a shared car or things like that. Um, So essentially, uh, what we found is in, in shared cars, there's whether it's a taxi or a bus, things like that. There's certain levels that convey different levels quote unquote, of cleanliness and safety and things like that. There's uh, barriers between uh, drivers and passengers and the in, in between individual passengers as well. That's certainly one level. Uh, ensuring that all riders and drivers are wearing masks. Uh, that's uh, certainly another level. Makes some people feel more safe. Testing drivers and ensuring that their current uh, test status is communicated to potential riders is another level. Uh, And then there's just various things like providing sanitizer, providing wipes, things like that, Um, antimicrobial services, uh, cleaning procedures, and making sure that's communicated to riders is on another level. But more concerning than all that is the fact that across most segments, interest in any mobility service, uh, with perhaps some exception for public transit in certain segments, is about to fall off a cliff. Right. So we've done quite a bit of research going back at least five years on how people choose their transport mode, the relationship between whatever mobility service they use and their intention to buy another car or a new car uh, and found that very long story short, the owned car isn't going anywhere. Right? And this was before COVID-19 even hit. Pandemic, of course, has also severely impacted how we socialize Zoom calls, canceled events have been the story throughout the year. In a more recent episode, Lisa talked about how she tried to have a birthday party in a virtual communication platform called Mozilla Hubs. It was my, uh, well, I won't mention which year of birthday it was. Um, it wasn't a big one, but I had a birthday party that was online over Mozilla Hubs, where I was joined, it was a surprise, and I was joined by friends Um, from around the world in this platform, which you basically go onto a website and anyone can sign in. You don't need an app or anything like that. 
And that was my first experience of a informal gathering. And no one had done this before. And everyone was just playing around with the avatars and they were zooming in and zooming out. And some people were on their smartphones, some people on laptops. And it was fun for the, I'd say for the first 15 minutes. And then I felt this dip where people didn't quite know what to do next because you can't just put, you know, you can't lean against a bar and have a drink or there was nothing for them really to do that they ordinarily would have done in a gathering. And so I wonder if this is something that we face when it comes to virtual gatherings. So to clarify, Mozilla Hubs is not necessarily just a, a Zoom where everybody is on video. Mozilla Hubs is more of an immersive environment where you have a character and you navigate a, a space. Is that correct? Yes. You have, a, you have a little avatar. It's very simplistic. It's fairly simple, but depending on what device you're on, and there's little quirks to the system, it presented some difficulties for people. They weren't quite sure what to do with it. Um, it was very unfamiliar to them. It's not something that they have any skills they can transfer over to it. The people that were there, they, they hadn't really used it before. Um, one or two of them had used these things before, so they seamlessly were able to get into it. But there lies the problem of just like Zoom, what do you do next? 2020 has also seen so many people having to work from home. In episode 17, we talked about the user experience for telework, and I shared my favorite place to work while I'm at home. So I've had probably more experience than either of you. I've been working remotely on and off for the better part of 15 years. So I feel like I've had my remote office pretty well set up for myself. I will say that this year has been very difficult for other reasons, because now I have a daughter at home doing remote schooling at home, as we heard in an earlier episode. And having the entire family at home now has changed some of my habits. <laughs> uh, so we now had to cram all into one room, which creates obstacles, creates issues when she's in the middle of a test. I have an important meeting come up. So I've had to re-examine and readjust and find some alternate workspaces. What would those be, Chris, with everything being closed down? The a great question. The dining room table, a TV tray. <laughs> when the weather was nice, I had a, a few days sitting on top of a hill with a nice view in our backyard. That was, that was oh. lovely. Mm. Oh, wow. The Wi-Fi didn't reach as well up there, though. <laughs> so basically, you were sat on a hill. I was sat on a hill. <laughs> there was no work being done. <laughs> on a more serious note, many UX professionals work in the healthcare field. And in episode five, we talked to Santosh Basipur from Rush University Medical Center in Chicago. He talked about some of the UX work that he's been doing during the pandemic. As being an academic health center, uh, I was involved, I'm involved right now in a project where we are trying to ease the stress of the families with their near and dear ones in the ICU. So imagine the situation, right? You're a your loved one goes into the ICU and then the family cannot visit them, cannot see them. Um, they just can only hear updates over a telephone. So that's the situation when it comes to ICUs and handling the masses that we have never handled before. Like the numbers are so high that we have never handled them before. So one of the projects I initiated and um, we are carrying it out as of now is we track 
hundreds of families and I have personally talked to 60 of them and tried to understand what happens to the family from a communication perspective when they uh, get the update or when they don't get the update and the kind of form in which they get the update, right, about the loved one in the ICU. So we have deployed, uh, we quickly were able to come up with a solution and deploy it. It's a one-page summary of the situation of the patient every day. Literally, it's a one-page summary sent over email. One of the doctors who leads this project writes that up uh, and sends it to the patient's families. And patient's families have loved it because it gives them a solid piece to hold in their hand and read once they get the information from the doc saying, this is the summary of your loved one for today. And, and something as basic and as simple as that, like we in the design world or we in the human factors world would have assumed that those things happen, right? Oh, the, the ICU talks to the patient's families every day. They send a summary of what's going on. None of that happens in the ground, right? Because families come to the ICU in person and the nurse tells them what's going on. We also had two episodes devoted to education during the pandemic. In episode 11, we talked with Renee, who is the Dean of Students in a large school district in the US. She talked about some of the UX issues that they faced in implementing distance learning. So we, at the beginning, of, at the end of last quarter, fourth quarter, when everything shut down, our teachers really wanted and started using that as a valuable resource tool for students who maybe couldn't make it to the meet or um, were having an issue and wanted wanted to be able to record it and have it as documentation because you know high schoolers are going to jump on as soon as they're in front of a camera in front of all their friends they start to do inappropriate things so teachers wanted to be able to record that um, however we quickly learned that's a violation of the child protection act to then for children under the age of 18 to be recorded and then shared so wow. here's it took a while for us to work out those rules and regulations. So if it, a teacher can record the screen, but they have to download it, keep it in a separate folder that's not online so that no one else can access it. They cannot share it with anyone. And that's also a, a glitch that we figured out that if they put it in a folder, like a, like a folder just for the resource, students learned how to manipulate that URL code and share it with other people. So even though it's within our locked down Google school classroom account that you can only access if you have a school account, those smart kids figured out how to record and share those recordings with other people. In 2020, we also had several other interviews that didn't have to do with COVID. One of these was in episode seven with Roger Longto, who is the director for Connected Mobility at Strategy Analytics. We talked about vehicle to everything or V2X, where vehicles can talk to other vehicles or to the infrastructure to communicate their location, speed, to be able to ultimately avoid crashes. Roger talked a bit about what he sees in this field and how there needs to be a much greater focus on the user experience. The challenges in bringing this into the car, there are some technical challenges, as I said, power management, et cetera, and some standard setting activity that still needs to take place. But for me, what I find is almost never gets discussed is what's the user experience of this? Because consumers have never had the experience of, of cars, other cars on the highway speaking directly to their car. And what do I do with this information when 
essentially the information is going to be coming omnidirectionally. And ultimately, this technology will self-organize intersections, actually, maybe two or three years from now, that capability will be built into 5G with something called sidelink technology. Cars coming to an intersection will create kind of a group and you will get instructions as to who is to proceed first through an intersection. That's a little further down the road, but translating that into driver interactions in the vehicle that can happen very quickly without confusion, to me, that's a very big challenge. In a special two-part episode, Lisa interviewed Martin Ralph from the Guide Dogs for the Blind Association. Lisa talked with Martin about designing for those with sight loss, and Martin discussed which products or companies he saw as doing the best job. One company that I felt did it really well, you know, accessibility by accident is what I like to call it, was the Amazon Echo devices. Yes. The most, I, I quote me for this, I always say they are the most accessible device on the planet because until they introduced the screen, so we'll ignore that for a moment on right, the Echo right. shows, <laughs> that, that they, it was the one device you could talk to and you would get, you know, vocal feedback and you could interact with that with sight loss. No matter who you were, what you were doing, you could still have a conversation. You could do things. You could order food. You could <laughs> listen to recipes. That is one thing that was never intended for people with sight loss. Yet I know Amazon guys worked with the RNIB, uh, Royal National Institute of the Blind, to work on the voice. But it was never intended for blind people. It was about Amazon getting more devices into people's homes at the end of the day. But by accident, they've made it the most accessible device on the planet. And I think that sometimes the best things is, you know, accessibility by accident. In that same episode, episode 13, Martin talked about what would be the first thing that he would do in a self-driving car. I want nothing more than to jump into an autonomous vehicle and pick up my own McDonald's from a drive through That is literally a dream of mine, and I am not <laughs> going to rest until I have that dream. <laughs> but <laughs> there are obviously some barriers uh, we need to consider of me getting my McDonald's from a drive through For example, everything from hailing that vehicle, or say I already own it and it's parked near my house, whatever the case might be or whether it's a ride share, whatever the case may be, you know, the hailing and it getting to me is one issue straight away. How do I know where the vehicle's parked? How do I know what I'm looking for? Because Lord knows what you might invent might be bubbles for a <laughs> <laughs> How do I know what, what, what I'm looking for? Um, you know, flying pods, I don't know. But in all seriousness, how do we find it? Finally, sticking with self-driving cars. Episode four focused on them as Lisa and I peppered Derek with a bunch of keywords for him to respond to, as this is one of Derek's areas of expertise. In this clip, we asked Derek to give us his thoughts on Tesla. Tesla has influenced a lot in automotive. So we'll start with that. They're, they've been a very important player in the automotive space for eight years now. Uh, they were the first to push a level two-ish advanced driving assistant uh, to the road uh, called Autopilot. Terrible name, but very impressive technology. Uh, and the fact that they pushed that to owners via an over-the-air update is remarkable. No need to go into the dealer to add this equipment or anything like that. It was pushed uh, as a software update over the air. It's incredible. Uh, they did the same with Smart Summon, where an owner can use their companion app standing a few hundred feet away and, and summon, quote unquote, their Tesla uh, driverless. It's, it's amazing. 
they can get away with this because their owners all tend to be these leading edge tech enthusiasts and they called these systems and furthermore they push these systems to the road by calling it a beta right mm, so yeah. basically rather than rigorously testing their technology they push updates to their fleet and use their owners as beta testers but for a lot of these systems all it can do is invite predictable abuse remember what i talked about with uh, the simulator study uh with Dr. Stanton at Southampton. If given the opportunity, drivers are going to check out. And in fact, recent research out of UC Davis said exactly that. Tesla owners who are already very accepting of new tech and not tend, don't tend to be very skeptical are using autopilot inappropriately. They're sleeping while autopilot drives uh, mm -hmm. on freeway. Right. And oh, by the way, autopilot isn't even fully baked. It's a beta. So these there's still a whole bunch of autopilot errors that come up very often. So the most recent autopilot update uses the forward camera to identify objects and, and pushes that to a screen and allows the car to drive through green lights, things like that. It, it still makes a lot of errors. It'll either miss stationary objects. That's how people are getting killed using autopilot. It'll run into a, a fire truck or a police car. It's on the road. It just literally won't see it. Or it'll see an object and misclassify it. So for example, there's a very a viral video that made the rounds of a Burger King sign mis being mistaken for a stop sign. Okay. So this is not a particularly sustainable, let alone a safe or user-friendly development process. So te again, Tesla has been at the forefront here. There's a lot of what they're doing that's very troubling, especially for EVs. So as we wrap up 2020, Lisa, Derek, and I, of course, want to thank everybody that's helped to make this podcast possible. A special thanks to our boss, Kevin Nolan, who supported us every step of the way, and everyone else's strategy analytics that's helped make this possible. Mostly, though, we want to thank you, the listeners. The response to our podcast has been beyond any of our expectations, and we've been so happy to bring you our thoughts, research, analysis, and interviews on a weekly basis. We really appreciate you spending your time with us. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. You can also view our show page at ux-soup.com. There, if you scroll down to the bottom, you can sign up to get emails from us. On that site, you can also view episode transcripts, get links to research published by Strategy Analytics, and connect with us on LinkedIn. As always, UX Soup is brought to you by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights in mobile, automotive, and the smart home by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you in 2021. Bye for now.